Mr. Squidward. Welcome to the night shift. And a pleasant good evening, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of the MI6 Sports Network's Late Night Sports Talk Show. That, of course, folks, is the Night Shift on episode number 26 on this November 21st, 2020. Before, folks, we get into all the uh, news today, we want to make a very quick program announcement for you, folks. We were supposed to um, have our network uh, Thanksgiving special on this Saturday night, November 21st. However, though, due to, again, the very long link to some of the college football games and uh, pretty much overtime and just games going long and uh, not a lot of the crew able to come on tonight because of games being watched. We have moved the event to Sunday, so we'll uh, uh, still the folks have uh, the entire uh, multi-hour event going on, but tomorrow on Sunday as opposed to the night. With that, though, folks, the night ship is on air. As usual, folks, joined by our uh, great friend and, of course, the fellow uh, MI6 Sports Network, a late night uh, talk show host, our buddy Isaiah Leung from the Garage Studios in Fremont, California, and yours truly, Count Clerk from the Home Studios in San Diego. Sadly, Isaiah, a lot of great football games on. We had to push the uh, Thanksgiving special to Sunday, where I think, of course, it'd be a little bit easier with uh, uh, the NFL taking place on Sunday. But of course, man, good to see you and welcome aboard the night shift, buddy. How's it going? It's great to see you, Cal, and uh, I'm feeling very very relieved right now there were a lot of ups and turn ups and downs in that michigan rutgers game uh i was probably not going to be able to come on tonight had michigan lost that game because i couldn't muster enough strength to come on if rutgers somehow someway won that game but thank the good lord that michigan was able to pull it out in three overtimes i mean they got down 17 nothing and then they took the lead 28 27 they took a 35 27 lead just to see uh rutgers you know, go down to the field, score a touchdown, and somehow, someway get the two-point conversion. And then in the first overtime, Michigan misses the field goal. And I'm here thinking, oh, my gosh, man, here we go. Michigan is going to lose to Rutgers. I'm going to lose my mind on the show. I'm going to have to, you know, submit my resignation papers to Callan and Steven and, you know, announce to the world that I'm quitting this fantastic network. And then, thankfully, the Rutgers kicker misses a 44-yard field goal. And then in second overtime, Rutgers scores a, t a touchdown first. And I'm here again thinking, oh, my gosh, here we go. Michigan is going to lose, and I'm going to have to face utter humiliation. But thank the good Lord, on fourth and go, fourth and go from the one, Michigan is able to punch it in to save me. And then – uh, in the third overtime, Michigan, they score the touchdown. Uh, like, yeah, they score the touchdown first. They don't get the two-point conversion. And also in my heart at that time, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, Cal, the Michigan's going to – or Rutgers is going to drive down the field again, score a touchdown because the Michigan defense is utter garbage. And then, you know, they're going to kick the extra point, win the ball game, and, you know, I'm going to go ballistic on the Thanksgiving special or on the night shift. But thank goodness that Rutgers, that quarterback, made the foolish decision to, you know, heave a ball into the end zone for the game-clinching interception by Michigan. And Michigan somehow, someway survives 
to live another and lives another day. And man, it, it feels I like I'm not happy. I'm not like sad. I'm not angry about it. I'm just feeling relieved, man. That was probably the most intense game I've ever watched in my life. But man, thank goodness Michigan survived. And now I'm in a happy mood to do this show tonight. So yeah, let's get it, man. I am so excited to talk about this game as well as the other games listed on our slate for tonight. Now, once again, everybody, as we had told you, though, that this was going to be our uh, Thanksgiving special, but thanks to that very lengthy Michigan and Rutgers game, we had to push the program actually to Sunday night due to the length of that game. And a lot of our uh, fellow MI6 uh, um, hosts could not join the program with them living on the East Coast and that game getting over at just past midnight on the East Coast. So we had to actually move the event to Sunday. So we apologize for the inconvenience, but... uh Thank Michigan and Rutgers for playing, you know, some great football in triple overtime with us having to move that program to Sunday. But as usual, everybody, the night shift comes your way every Tuesday, Saturday, and Sunday to recap all the big games, the big plays, and big scores, and big news of the day packed into an hour-plus program here on the MI6 Sports Network. But once again, everybody, will have the uh, Thanksgiving special taking place on Sunday, still, though, at our 8 o'clock Pacific time start time. But as uh, we already had said, though, a couple, uh, a few times already, but with the length of that game, though, we kept pushing it back about 20 minutes or so. Didn't pan out, so we ended up moving the program to Sunday uh, for you folks to join us on the MI6 Sports Network. With that, let's get to the MI6 viewers first and foremost. Our good buddy Casey King tuning in. He says, hello, everyone from the office man cave as he's multitasking watching the, the show and also the Trojans as they lead uh, Utah 24-17 up in Salt Lake City. The third quarter just gets underway in utah also our good friend james gonzalez also tuning in tonight of course james good to see you as well my friend casey the wolverines got lucky rutgers had that game christy wilson agrees michigan was also lucky james says dang no one in new jersey can do a good job thanks a lot to rutgers tyler work writes in it took almost no time to see that kate mcnamara is a better quarterback than joe milton Wonder if Milton looks like a better QB in practices because he gets to throw against that terrible Michigan secondary. Could be a lot of factors. And James also agrees. Go Trojans, as do all of us here on the panel. And also, Angel, say, hey, hey, what's happening? Uh, what's happening, Angel, is the uh, Thanksgiving special got moved to Sunday because of the length of that Michigan Rutgers game we've been somewhat talking about here uh, early on the program. So the night shift is in place, but we'll have our Thanksgiving special, though, on Sunday at 8 o'clock Pacific time here on the 6th. With that, though, Isaac, we'll get to some of the uh, games, though, that, of course, have gone down over uh, the course of today with uh, at least about five or six on our slate of games here today. First up, though, Isaiah, a great game in the Big Ten earlier on Saturday morning, Indiana facing Ohio State in a top 10 showdown in a game that went in favor of the Buckeyes, 42-35 from the shoe in Columbus. You know, Isaiah, the big thing I'll say here, though, is these are not the same old Hoosiers. And as a matter of fact, though, Tyler actually said this on his program on TQN on Friday night in regards that, or even earlier in the week, though, that Indiana's played a lot better, and they've gradually improved over the course of the past several seasons. Yeah, it has been probably been, you know, a great deal of improvement, though, but slowly, brick by brick, building up that foundation from square one, and they have gotten better and better and better as every season has gone on. And, hey, they got behind in this game, though, but they were right there at the very end of perhaps knocking off uh, Ohio State. Again, it took, you know, maybe some Cal Stanford magic, but it didn't work out, though. But Isaiah... All the praise, though, and all the respect in the world, will go in my mind, goes to Indiana for nearly 
for one, taking this game to the very end, though, but also nearly pulling off probably their biggest football upset in recent memory. Yeah, Cal, and you're right. This was a fantastic game by both sides. Um, you know, Ohio State actually came out and imposed their will early in this game. They took a 28-7 to lead. And, you know, I was thinking when that happened, I was like, okay, yeah, this is your typical Ohio State game. Ohio State imposes their will early. They're up big at halftime. And, you know, I don't need to watch the rest of this game because, you know, I know Ohio State is going to win handily. But, boy, was I wrong, man. Indiana – you got to give a lot of credit to Tom Allen. This team, they do not stop fighting. And they fought to the very end, even though it did not look good early on. They didn't care. They didn't quit. They kept fighting. And they, they did something that uh, no other team, either in the Big Ten or in the rest of college football, has ever done. And that was make Justin Fields look miserable in today's game. He, I know he threw for 370 yards. I know he threw for three touchdowns, but he was very confused by all the blitzes that Indiana was bringing in this football game. He threw three interceptions uh, in this game, something that he hasn't done since back when he was in high school. Uh, they confused him a lot. Um, Indiana was able to stop the running game uh, for Ohio State. And, you know, their offense – like their passing game down the field was tremendous. All I got to say is this, Ohio, Indiana's, their defense looks very, very good. Indiana under Tom Allen is looking like a very, very solid program for years to come. But that Ohio State secondary, I was very, very disappointed by them because they've been playing really good as of like to start this season, but they completely went downhill today. They allowed a lot of deep passes. They allowed a a, a lot of like big, uh, big plays today. And uh, Ohio State needs to get that fixed because if they don't get that fixed, then you got like teams like Clemson and Alabama that have those high powered offenses that are just going to be throwing it down your throats and you won't be able to stop them. And that's like the only, like, that's the way you're going to lose. It's because your secondary just can't hold up against the talented wide receivers of the Alabamas and the Clemsons and even the Floridas of the world. I definitely agree that there's holes to patch up. I think Isaiah with any club right now playing games as the season has progressed on and gotten deeper and deeper as we again, also expect the first college football top 25 playoff rankings to be released sometime Tuesday at 4 o'clock Pacific time on ESPN. Some of the projections, though, folks, we'll talk about or at least talk about a little bit later in the segment here. But as mentioned, uh, Indiana, though, absolutely sensational game. But I think, though, Isaiah, that James is right, though, that he says that he knew that the Buckeyes were going to win, but was hoping for a good game it was, minus Indiana's turnovers, which is mentioned was a, a huge factor with them losing this ball game. Also, Casey agrees that Indiana deserves props as they showed hard in the second half and made a great comeback. Ohio State can be beaten. Uh, they likely will win the Big Ten, but will uh, likely lose in the college football somewhere along the way. I do believe it's, it's possible, just depending on, again, how that uh, stacks up. And uh, Angel writes in to say that win or lose, the Hoosiers are for real. And more so with this season, I definitely think that they have, again, slowly building to what they've been so far here on the season. Angel also says that is why I didn't see the game because uh, I thought it was going to be another Ohio State blowout. Served me right to not see the game. And also, James writes in, Tom Allen is a head coach you would run through a wall for. There's a few of them out there, I'd say, in college football, Isaiah, and definitely Tom Allen has got to be one of them that you run through a wall for, for sure. 
Yeah, 100%, man. I saw his speech today after uh, they lost to Ohio State. And normally, you know, teams, they never, ever put out, like, the losing speeches whenever uh, their team loses a game. You never see that on Twitter where they put out what the coach said, but they put it out and Tom Allen was fired up. You know, he was saying like, I'm so proud of you guys, even though you guys lost because you guys never quit. You guys kept fighting. You fought to the very end and you know, you guys sh uh, showed a lot of grit out there. I'm just so proud of you guys. I, I, when I was watching that video, I was like, if I could play football, if I had the athletic abilities, that's the kind of coach I would want to play for. So Tom Allen is building a good program down there uh, in Indiana, and they're just going to continue to get better. And I got to say, man, their quarterback, uh, Penex, I think that's his name, he was outstanding. He was like – his. he has a tremendous arm. I think he threw for over 400-plus yards in that game, five touchdowns against Ohio State, something that hasn't been done in a very, very long time. So for him to come in there and do that against a powerhouse program, a defense that is known for being great and a great offense in Ohio State, very impressive. Yeah, very impressive for sure. Tyler Work chimes in to say that Ohio State secondary is very suspect and would most likely be the thing that hurts them against the top teams in the country to Isaiah's point, though, as mentioned uh, with how their defenses look so far. More so the secondary being a bit of a point of emphasis with the Bucks. But again, folks, it is a uh, one great game, though, earlier on Saturday morning as Ohio State's able to hold off Indiana 42-35 from the shoe in Columbus, Ohio. With that, Isaiah, some Pac-12 action earlier on Saturday afternoon as UCLA went up to Eugene to face the Oregon Ducks, a back-and-forth game. That's how the Bruins lead, but the 11th-ranked Ducks were able to hold off the Bruins 38-35 from a very wet and cold Eugene, Oregon here today. Uh, Isaiah, I will say this, man, that UCLA, of course, coming off the win over Cal last week, went into Eugene. Went into very terrible weather and nearly upset Oregon. But I'll, I'll tell you what, though, man, I've been very impressed with the play of Oregon's quarterback throughout the course of their season so far and showing why that a lot of people have Oregon perhaps winning the Pac-12 title this year because their offenses look very good. The defense was probably a bit suspect or subpar in this ballgame. But at the same time, though, spectacular ballgame, though, uh, between both UCLA and Oregon. But Isaiah, major props, though, I think, to Oregon for getting uh, off the mat and getting back on the winning ways over UCLA earlier today. Yeah, you got to give Oregon major props, but I got to say this. I was very disappointed with Oregon's defense's performance. Oregon's defense coming into the season, they were supposed to be the one they were supposed to be the best defense in the entire Pac-12. But what do they do? They give up 35 points to UCLA and Chip Kelly who are playing with their backup quarterback. That is not okay. You guys have a lot of four-star, five-star recruits on your defense. You have a lot of talent. You have uh, you have a major talent advantage over UCLA when it comes to your defense versus their uh, offense. And for you to give up 35 points is not okay. you got to fix that up because if you don't fix that up, Keaton Slovis and the USC Trojans, they're, that high-powered offense of USC, they are going to torch you uh, in the Pac-12 championship. I agree, Isaiah, that more so Ohio State and Oregon, I think, have the same uh, similar situations in my mind where the defense is a little bit stagnant, a little bit not the best right now. They, they've not looked good maybe in spurts. They've looked great in spurts maybe. 
But again, a defense in my mind will take you a long way. And if your defense is not playing up to snuff or up to par, you're not going to go very far, especially when you play big, bigger, badder, and better teams. For example, as mentioned, USC, Alabama, Georgia, Notre Dame even, as time does move on. But I do think that Oregon's offense really, I think, bailed them out in this game. Again, as UCLA kept coming and coming and coming and got so close, but the Ducks hold off the Bruins in Eugene, 38-35. The Ducks over the Bruins here today. Some more thoughts real quick. Uh, Matt Soltis, our good buddy, writes in to say, go Hawkeyes. Nothing wrong with that. James writes in to say, UCLA didn't even have their starting quarterback in Eugene. So shocked they were in the ball game. Uh, Isaiah, I agree, though, because UCLA... I believe it was a report of a perhaps a COVID issue or an injury that kept the quarterback starter out for UCLA. And man, oh man, the backup nearly beats Oregon. What a, that would have been probably one of the better storylines of the day. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think UCLA might want to reopen that quarterback competition because from what I've watched, their starter doesn't really look that good, um, whether it's this season or last season. I think their starter name is... Uh, DTR, I think that's his name. I I don't know like his like actual full name, but he doesn't really look that good when he plays. Um, the backup looked really well today. So if I'm Chip Kelly, uh, I am seriously considering opening up that quarterback competition again and see what maybe the backup can do for you uh, against like all the other teams in the Pac-12. Yeah, I think a lot of schools have uh, at this rate probably some uh, quarterback carousels turning. Casey King writes in to say, good game in that UCLA-Oregon game and glad that Oregon uh, pulled it up, but Oregon's defense is shaky, definitely for sure. Matt writes back in. Got to remember, though, guys, it's the Pac-12 conference. The best defense in the Pac-12 is still average nationally. No hiding the fact it's an offense-based conference. I think Matt's on a great point, Isaiah, with, again, how we see so many of these offenses. It's run-and-gun offense, basically, and defense is kept pretty much at a premium or perhaps not even applicable. Yeah, I mean, just look at USC. Like, USC, last season, they had a fantastic offense, but their defense was utter garbage. You saw that against Iowa. Like, once they lost Keaton Slovis and they couldn't put up points anymore, they they were getting blown out because the defense just couldn't stop Iowa one bit. And, you know, Oregon, I think, is the same thing. Washington State is the same thing as well. Washington, they might have a great defense because, you know, Jimmy Lake, he their new head coach, former defensive coordinator of Washington, now elevated to the head coaching position. He is a very bright defensive mind. And, you know, Washington has looked good on defense. Um, they killed Arizona today. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. You know, the, the entire Pac-12 is just an offensive-based league. There's really uh, not a team over there that you can say, like, that is uh, playing the type of defense like Georgia or Alabama or, like, an elite type of defense. Definitely agree for sure. I mean, it's it's more of a thing that it's 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 uh, all offense based, and again, defense is kind of at your own risk to play defense. Basically, <laughs> Casey writes in to say that Oregon is another team that cannot get it done in the college football playoff. I believe that there, I believe that there's only been one Pac-12 team. I might be wrong though, but I think in the entire time they've done the college football playoff, only one time has a Pac-12 school played in the uh, playoff itself, and I believe it was only Oregon. I don't know if it was. Maybe Washington would be another one. There, there may be yeah, two. Washington. So I think there's I think at Washington least two. Is in it. Uh, also, Angel says uh, with the Pac-12, it's either Sega Genesis or it's Arena Football with how <laughs> defense has played so far. And Angel says that, or uh, Christy says the Ducks did disappoint me tonight. More so, the defense I think was a major letdown. More so, again, Isaiah. 
Same thing with Ohio State and with Oregon. They both have just, you know, right now some defensive holes to really patch up right now at this rate in my mind. And also Angel writes in the same. UCLA almost beat Oregon at Oregon, and in the rain, they may be uh, a surprise team. I mean, that weather, though, for because I was watching both the Oregon-UCLA game, Angel, and also watching the uh, Cal-Oregon State game. And, I mean, the weather between Eugene and Corvallis was like, you felt like there was this giant, like, fog hanging over Corvallis. And in Eugene, you, you could see the breath of the players when they would breathe and you know, some of the raindrops hitting the helmet. So, yeah, the weather was very out of control today up there in Oregon. And, yes, Christy, I agree, though, but the Ducks did disappoint, but more so the defense. I think more so Isaiah disappointed a lot of people more so than the actual Ducks performance today as well. Hey, Cal, and I am so looking forward to that uh, potential Pac-12 championship game of USC and Oregon because you know there's not going to be any defense played in that game. It's going to be a heavy shootout between those two. Two great quarterbacks going at it. Two great offenses going at it. Sign me up for that. I cannot wait for that uh, potential Pac-12 championship. I hope that, you know, COVID doesn't kill the college football season. And also I hope that, you know, like me just being selfish on this, but I hope that none of the other Pac-12 teams are able to ruin that potential matchup because that matchup is going to be amazing to watch. Honestly, Isaiah, that brings a good question, though. If, in fact, there's a school out there in the Pac-12 that might ruin that plan of Oregon playing USC, in your mind, who would it be? Um. Well, for me, it's tough because, you know, in, in the Pac-12 South, I thought there were two teams that could give USC a threat, and that was uh, Arizona State and Utah. But Arizona State, they blew that first game to USC. They should have won that first game against USC. I mean, they were up, I believe, 13 points with three minutes left in the game. They had a 99.7% chance, according to ESPN, to win the ball game. They flat out choked that game away. So I think Herm Edwards and the Sun Devils are done after that one. That was like, and that was, that was just a, like, it was an emotional, like it was very devastating in terms of, you know, emotional devastation. Um, also, Utah, they are on the ropes right now against USC. Uh, USC is up 27 to 17 in the third quarter in Utah. So I think there's really not a threat to USC uh, for the Pac-12 South. I think the only threat that or the only thing that could give USC trouble in the Pac-12 is themselves. Because let's face it, they have a very talented team. They've got Keaton Slovis. They've got a lot of five stars four-star recruits, their wide receiving corps is loaded, their defense, you know, it's not like they have a lot of talent there. They're, they are still a work in progress, but uh, Clay Helton, I think his blunders are the only thing that could kill USC's chances. And as for Oregon, right now, the Pac-12 North, you don't really have a team that really has looked good. You know, Stanford has looked like crap the first couple of weeks. Um, Isaiah? What's up? The only team I would say, not because they won handily, but maybe Washington would be the only one that could hold back Oregon. Yeah, I think I would agree with you on that. I think that Washington is probably like the only team that could give uh, Oregon, uh, like, yeah, give Oregon a fight in the Pac-12 North. But other than that, I think it's really clear cut that at the end of the day, we're going to see a USC Oregon uh, Pac-12 championship game. 
I definitely think so as well. But it could be maybe Arizona State if they can get back on the field after COVID. Uh, perhaps them, maybe uh, UW can get back in the running. We'll see how things play out. Some more thoughts. Uh, by the way, Isaiah, Matt enjoys your makeshift shirt, by the way. I got a rocket because, you know, I got to show my respects to Brock Purdy. The guy was amazing today. He showed why a lot of people coming into the season pegged him as a first-round pick. I mean, the guy threw for over 250 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, and that is also him not playing the entire – or, yeah, him not playing – half of the third quarter and the entire fourth quarter. So it was a fantastic performance. Uh, Got to give him love, man. And Iowa State, they are now the front runners to win the Big 12 championship. Just don't wash the shirt, whatever you do, buddy. Because if that happens, you're going to be wasting a lot more computer ink if that happens from the printer. <laughs> uh, Angel says, this game would have been fun between UCLA and Oregon if it was on the old Oregon AstroTurf. It would have looked like NFL straight ball. Aye, aye, aye. <laughs> that would have been great. Uh, James says, one more game. Did anyone out there watch App State and Coastal Carolina? Talk about a thrilling game, though, between two of the, between those two programs. Well, unfortunately, I didn't watch that game, but I watched BYU and North Alabama. And I know Callen is going to say, yeah, they don't deserve to be in the playoffs. But come on, Callen, 63-14 to 14 with that explosive offense, with that NFL-caliber quarterback, you can't tell me they don't belong in the playoffs. <laughs> Them and Cincinnati are both the first two teams out of my top four. Sorry. I, I can't do it. But no, James, in all seriousness, though, that game was absolutely insane, though, with Coastal Carolina. I believe it was the first time that they had beaten App State, I think, ever, or like first time in a long time that they had beaten App State. So, you know, it was a great game, and uh, good way for them to win it, uh, to finish it off. Also, some more thoughts as well. Tyler agrees about that game being great. Also, Matt says, laughing out loud, Iowa made Brock Purdy look like Nick Mullins last year. Terrible. Shots fired. Also, Christy says, I also watched... Cincy and Central Florida. That was also a good game as the uh, Bearcats won 36-33 at uh, the stadium down there. And James says BYU played North Alabama. Ha, ha, ha. No. Sadly, the Bearcats and the uh, uh, Cougars are sadly the first two teams out of my top four at this rate. Isaiah, sorry. Callan, you know what we should do? We should like tell ESPN, tell CBS, tell Fox and all the uh, affiliates out there that cover college football. When they post that game, let's erase the North, please, of like North Alabama. Let's erase the North and just put Alabama and just give it to the college football playoff committee. <laughs> That's not going to happen, my friend. I w you, in your dreams, yes, but it's never it's not going to happen anytime soon. At this rate, sadly. But again, uh, some other games, though, that were, in fact, uh, played uh, that were not on uh, on our actual uh, schedule, though. But as mentioned, BYU, North Alabama, and also, as uh, again, Appalachian State and Coastal Carolina with uh, Coastal Carolina winning their game today as well. With that in mind, Isaiah, over back to the Big Ten. What's more is Wisconsin faced off with Northwestern. A very stagnant and very dreadful uh, Badger offense dooms them as they fall to Northwestern in a upset loss. 17-7 in a very, very rough scoring game for both of these clubs. As mentioned, the Wildcats do beat the Badgers 17-7. And more so, Isaiah, like I said, though, buddy, before the show started here tonight, though, is tonight, though, made Wisconsin look like my Chicago Bears. The offense was not there. Paul Chris going for it a couple of times on fourth down. 
Got it twice, though, but, you know, third time, though, didn't they, uh, of course, did not get it, though. And sadly, when that when I saw that happen, Isaiah, that just brings back painful memories for Wisconsin fans, though, of not getting it on fourth and short in some of the recent Big Ten title game losses that were by less than 10 points or less than a, than three. And, again, Wisconsin cannot get out of their own way with this ball game. And Northwestern uh, wins the game by 10, 17, 7. But I more so, Isaiah, just today, though, was more, in my mind, very black, very bad play calling by Paul Christ at the worst possible times that doom that dooms Wisconsin, and also four plus turnovers in this game. They had one turnover for a majority of the games, except for today they turned the ball over four times. That also killed them in this game. So turnovers, and also as well with many other things going on with uh, play calling more so, and also the four plus turnovers as well. Uh, Isaiah, thoughts about this game? Very very interesting ball game though. Low scoring, but again, Northwestern beats Wisconsin 17-7. My thoughts on this game is that, you know, Wisconsin is always a team that when they get off to a hot start and, like, let's say they start 4-0 or 5-0, that you know they just always have this one game that they just come out flat and they play, like, really, really bad. And, you know, this – happened to be that game today so you know I'm not surprised by it because Wisconsin like they do this every year they get off to a hot start and then they have that one game where they just come out flat they play sluggish and then they trip up and then this ended up being the game but you know I think this was a learning lesson for uh their quarterback Graham Mertz uh he went against uh Callan tell me out here who who was their first uh opponent Illinois Illinois yeah he went up against Illinois and then he went up against Michigan, I believe. They've only played, what, two games this season, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah. Because Illinois did beat Nebraska pretty handily earlier Saturday morning. Yeah, this was Graham Mertz's first uh, taste or first test against a good defense in the Big Ten. You know, you're talking about Illinois. Like, I, I love Lovey Smith. He's one of my favorite coaches ever in football. But right now, what he's doing at Illinois, they don't have a good defense at all. Their offense can't score anything. Uh, their program is irrelevant. Um, you know, Michigan, we, we, we talked like so much about what Michigan is. Their defense is non-existent. Their offense struggled today against freaking Rutgers. So this was like Graham Mertz's true test and true taste of Big Ten football, and, you know, I think it's a learning lesson for him moving forward. Um, I think that he knows what he needs to do to improve, and, you know, for Wisconsin, I think they should just, like, they always, for some reason, what I've noticed Wisconsin does is they just r- run the football on the first two downs, and then they have, they make Graham Mertz throw the football on third down. I think uh, Paul Chris needs to open the playbook and stop going with a run heavy attack because you know it's we've seen it that in the past you know you go with a run heavy attack what happens against Ohio State you get absolutely blasted last year you go with a run heavy attack yes it worked for the first two and a half quarters but then Ohio State figured it out stopped the run and stopped the slant and the quarterback couldn't do anything so they need to open up the uh, offense they need to revolutionize the offense and if they do that I think they would make uh, Wisconsin a scary program. Can we just like do like that meme of uh, I think I think I think it's He-Man and Skeletor and we tie the guy up and rip his like mask off and show it's Matt Nagy calling plays and not Paul Christ from this game? Because it just looked to me like that was basically 
This was pretty much like in my eyes watching the Bears play because of the offense run by Paul Christ. But more so that they just that Isaiah it was more of just like self-inflicted wounds, though, by the Badgers offense here today in regards to, you know, running plays. Uh, you know, fourth down play calls were not the best in my mind. And also, the uh, as mentioned, turnovers also killing the Badgers offense as well today with uh, the ball can't, game as well. Can't, can't turn the ball over uh, four times to win a football game. You just can't. I don't care if you're playing uh, Division One, Division Two, Mountain West, WAC, whatever. You cannot turn the ball four times if you want to win a football game. Absolutely not. And I think Isaiah is onto a valid point, though, in regards to, as already mentioned, though, plenty of times, or at least in this segment here, uh, with uh, the play calling uh, being a very big issue. And again, we've got to, you know, I, I, I think that you have to, you know, use more of your tools available in the toolbox if you're, uh, you know, Paul Christ and, uh, you know, with some better play calling, hopefully. Some more thoughts here real quick. Angel says, uh, guys, it's been a very crazy NF, uh, NCAA season. A Mountain West game was broadcast nationally on CBS today. Definitely agree about that. We'll actually talk about that game in just a moment here. Uh, James says, so happy that Northwestern won, uh, won the game somewhere. Both Michael Robon and Rachel Nichols are both very happy. I definitely agree for sure with uh, some of the uh, greats uh, uh, working for ESPN. Uh, Angel says, Nebraska needs some help pronto. Again, they got clobbered by the Fighting Illini today down there in uh, Lincoln on their home field by a very wide margin. And also the Fighting Illini Twitter account having some fun at the expense of the uh, Cornhuskers uh, with uh, thanks for bringing back Big Ten football, Nebraska shots fired. Uh, James also says, as mentioned about, uh, again, happy for no, uh, Northwestern winning the ball game. Uh, Matt uh, responded to me saying, except that, except that quarterback is good and can hit a receiver. Uh, again, but more so with the uh, number of turnovers, there's uh, turnovers, not a very good day at the office for the Wisconsin offense. And also Matt responds to Isaiah, Wisconsin breeds NFL caliber offensive linemen. They run and nothing else. Definitely for sure. And also Angel says, Scooby-Doo could see the crowd shout out his name, just like the cartoon laughing out loud. And also Casey says that they, uh, that they, Nebraska should not have moved to the Big Ten Conference out of the Big 12. But hey, when money's calling, you take the money and you take the chance when things do in fact go that way. But again, Wisconsin faltering to Northwestern 17-7 by virtue of turnovers and a very bad offensive showing by Paul Christ and the Badger offense. Uh, with that, Isaiah, we already alluded to the uh, Iowa State drubbing of K-State 48-0. Iowa State already uh, are knocking off K-State. Uh, Georgia was in action today. Isaiah facing Mississippi State wearing their black alternates, and they hang on to beat Mississippi State after another slow start. 31-24 in favor of the Dogs over Mississippi State. But again, Isaiah more so. The story, though, in this game is much like Michigan making a quarterback change and it seems, though, man, that both these gambles for both those schools paid off here tonight. My thoughts on this is why the hell did Kirby Smart take this long to put in JT Daniels? I mean, Georgia fans have been clamoring for months for JT Daniels to start over Stenson Bennett and Dewan Mathis. Like, I like those two guys. I think Stenson Bennett, he's a very, very nice guy. He's a good leader, but the guy just doesn't have it. He's a backup quarterback. He doesn't have the strongest arm in the world. Uh, he doesn't He doesn't have the, like, best athletic abilities in the world, but he's a high IQ player. He's a guy that I think is a future head coach, uh, whether it's any NFL or in college football, but he's a backup. And JT Daniels is should have been the 
starting quarterback of the Georgia Bulldogs from the start. I mean, this guy has a cannon of an arm. He can move in the pocket. I mean, look at what Georgia did today. They put up 31 points. I know it was against Mississippi State, whose their defense is not that good. But still, the Georgia offense, without the running game, they only ran for, I believe, 40 yards in that game. Normally, when Georgia runs for only 40 yards, you would think, like, oh, yeah, they probably lost, like, 50 to 3 because they depend on the running game so heavily. But they put up 31 points because JT Daniels was finally – like started and was allowed to air the football out. He was 28 for 38, threw for 400 plus yards, four touchdowns. Kirby Smart, why did you wait until the end of the year when the Georgia Bulldogs season is over to start this guy? If you had started this guy probably before the season, you would have had a shot right now against Florida and against Alabama and all the other top-tier programs in the SEC. And you might have won the SEC East and gone to the SEC championship game to face Alabama because JT Daniels is a much better upgrade over the quarterbacks that Georgia currently has. I don't know why um, Kirby Smart decided to make that move now. He should have done it at the beginning of the year. But, hey, it is what it is. He played very well, but it's too little too late as Georgia's season is now over. Isaiah, in your mind, which program in your mind took took in your mind too long or way too long to make a quarterback change, Michigan or Georgia? I would say Georgia because when you look at the quarterbacks at their disposal, look, we have like Michigan, it's Joe Milton. They have uh, Cade Mac. McNamara, is that how you pronounce yeah, his name? McNamara, yeah. Yeah, McNamara. We didn't know like how good those guys were. Joe Milton looked absolutely like he looked really good in that first game. And then he followed it up by sticking up the joint in the next three games for Michigan. And then Cade McNamara comes in. Granted, he's going up against Rutgers, but he looked very well or looked very good, but he was going up up against Rutgers. So I still need to see more from him moving forward um, to really say that, yeah, Michigan has finally found their quarterback. But JT Daniels, you saw what he did at USC before he got injured. You saw what he did uh, in the Georgia Bulldogs spring game. He lit the scoreboard up. And for Kirby Smart to put him not even as the backup, but as the third stringer is an absolute travesty. And I just think he should have done this before the season started, but he does it now but it's too late because the season is already over. So it just doesn't make sense. So I'm going to go with Georgia. I think Georgia probably also sticks out in my mind at the rate though, as we've already seen though, with, uh, you know, Michigan makes this move here with still maybe some time to maybe make up ground. Probably as mentioned too little too late though, with both these schools as again, time is in fact running out and time is very scarce this year with the, very condensed seasons with, again, COVID concerns and COVID protocols in place. But Georgia, I think, in my mind, mishandled their quarterback situation, I think, way worse, I'd say, than Michigan because, you know, Michigan, of course, had Joe Milton looking great, though. And Joe gets, you know, and, and uh, Milton gets benched in favor of McNamara against Rutgers. I mean, this, is, this wasn't against Wisconsin or any other program. He gets benched in the middle of a game against Rutgers, for heaven's sake, which I think sticks out more so in my mind uh, with this ball game. Some more thoughts real quick. Um, Angel writes in to say, Granted, I have not watched a lot of the Big Ten, but damn, Penn State being 0-5. Did not see that coming. 
I don't know, Isaiah, but man, it, it really, I think, shows you when you lose a star quarterback, like, you know, lose a quarterback like Trace McSorley, that pro, you know, you're going uh, down for a rebuild for at least uh, the next year or two. Damn. That Indiana game, the very, very close loss by Penn State killed their season. It seems that those players haven't recovered from the devastation that was that uh, Penn State-Indiana game. And I just think, like, now they know their season is over. And you saw today against Iowa. Like, they didn't – like, it didn't show like they were playing all out. You know, it showed that, you know, they w- were kind of playing, like, half-assed uh, in this game. So, like, I got a question. Like, is their effort still there knowing that they're, like, 0-5 now? They're not going to make the college football playoffs. They're not going to win the Big Ten. They're probably not going to make a bowl game because I think it's a 10-game or an 8-game season. Right, Callan? 8-game season yeah. in the uh, Big Ten. So, if, like, you're guaranteed to go – three and five at best. You're going to have a losing record. So I'm questioning the effort of these players because from what I saw today against Iowa, there was a lot of very poor tackling, um, not a lot of pressure on the quarterback today. So it just makes me question the effort. Yeah, effort, I think, as the season kind of slips away, there's no time really left to make up ground on somebody. You don't have that, you know, that safety net of a longer season to kind of make up that time to get back to – you know, somewhere of respectable uh, level, and definitely we'll see how things um, go from there. Some more thoughts real quick. Casey writes in, Penn State totally turned into a flop, and I remember the Trojan fans wanted James Franklin to be their next head coach. I think he is overrated, and he is showing it this year, and I think he's worse than Clay Helton, perhaps, I'd say, but as mentioned, I really don't think, maybe minus Michigan, I don't see a lot of college uh, colleges going the route of letting go of programs or head coaches because, as Isaiah is probably going to mention, though, the pandemic has a very big effect, I think, on coaches perhaps uh, leaving or not uh, sticking around after the season. But Isaiah, what do you got to add? Uh, two things. Number one, uh, you know, all the USC fans out there that think like that if USC loses like one or two games that Clay Helton is going to be fired. I'm sorry to break this to you, but Clay Helton is not going anywhere. He's going to be back next season, whether you like it or not, because let's face it, the USC administrators, they're cheap. Like they, I think Clay Helton had like a $20 million buyout last year, or I think it was either 15 or 20 million. They could have paid that, got a new coach uh, and, you know, made the program great again. But instead they choose to keep him for another year and pour all like the resources into getting him a better defensive coaching staff, which hasn't really turned out well this year. But they're not like it's a pandemic year. And with no fans in the stands, there's no revenue coming in. You really believe that after a year in which they declined to pay Helton's 15 to 20 million dollar buyout that with no money coming in, they're going to pay a 12, 13 million dollar buyout. I really don't see it. So that's why I'm already resigned to the fact that Clay Helton is coming back next season Um, and Callan, you mentioned this earlier about the coaches that, you know, could be fired. I don't think it's just going to be Michigan. I think you're going to have programs like Vanderbilt and Tennessee uh, in the SEC firing their coaches because we saw what happened with Will Muschamp. Those programs in the South, they're not afraid to eat those heavy buyouts. And I think if you're Vanderbilt, you have to fire your coach, especially that you went 
three and uh, I think they went three and nine last season. The coach was already on the hot seat, and he follows it up. Derek Mason follows it up by going zero and ten. So I mean, if you go zero and ten, there's no way that you can keep your job uh, for next season. And uh, Tennessee, Jeremy Pruitt, they started two and zero, and they're now on their way to probably losing the final eight games of the season. Have you? And if you have an eight game losing streak in the SEC, that's kind of like going zero and sixteen in the NFL. So I think Tennessee, Vanderbilt, they could be making moves and maybe Virginia Tech because they looked god awful today against Pittsburgh. We'll see what happens. But again, I, I know that we've said that a couple times and we've seen a lot of moves in the NFL, the NBA offseason, you know, Major League Baseball, the trade deadline, you know, and of course a lot of the stuff with the uh, revenue uh, going on. Some more thoughts real quick. Uh, Angel, in regards to Nebraska leaving, uh, leaving their old conference for the Big Ten, he says, I agree. It's also like Colorado and Utah moving to the Pac-12 from powerhouses and previous conferences to conference doormats. Though Utah's looked, I think, really good, though, in football recently with their football program able to hang in the Pac-12, again, coming from the Mountain West Conference at one point in time. And, of course, Colorado also moving in from, I believe, the Big 12 back in the day at one point in time. Also, James says, Penn State haven't been this bad in my lifetime. Super odd to see or so odd to see. Definitely as well agree. Uh, Casey replied back to Angel saying, I was not a fan of Utah or Colorado moving to the Pac-10 back at that time and used to calling the Pac-10 still. would rather have had San Diego State or Fresno State move to the Pac-12. You know, I, I know I can speak for that firsthand case and Isaiah in regards to a lot of the San Diego State football fans wanting the Pac-12 to come here. But I, at the time, I just think that with the stadium issues here in San Diego and stuff like that, I just didn't think or still don't think that the Pac-12 was going to tap into the San Diego market. They might eventually, but that right now I think SDSU is pretty content with the, with the uh, Mountain West because as we know, though, as well, everybody, just a few years ago, we had some thoughts or at least uh, had heard, though, that uh, SDSU was going to move their football program to the Big East because of uh, revenue and a chance to you know, maybe get into a, you know, a college football playoff game. It was a lot of nonsense, basically. But they were going to keep all their other programs, though, in the Mountain West. There was also talk as well, uh, everyone, and for that matter, Casey more so, that there was also talk of BYU and Gonzaga moving their uh, basketball programs into the Mountain West Conference. But, of course, that also fell through as they're now still, or they're both still in the West Coast Conference. But we'll see how things, in fact, go. Uh, Isaiah, what do you make, though, about, Maybe maybe not right away, though, but maybe some more thoughts about um, maybe, in fact, more conference movement as uh, the future does, in fact, come very soon. Well, Khaled, I'm st here starting a petition to have Hawaii move into the SEC because I want to see what Hawaii could do in the SEC. But, you know, I think they would get killed. Uh, each and every game by, you know, Alabama, Florida, and Georgia's of the world. So I think that would be a bad idea, but hey, why not? But um, in terms of like the conference movement, um, I could see like a team like Boise State because Boise State has been itching for years to get out of the Mountain West. I think they almost had a deal to go to the Big 12. Yeah, the Big 12. But, you know, I think it fell through last minute. So they ended up back in the Mountain West. I think Boise is looking for probably to try to get into the Pac-12 or one of those Power 5 conferences because each and every year Boise has really good teams 
they like they win like nine games or ten games, eleven games, or even sometimes they go undefeated and then they get left out of the playoffs because everybody's like, oh yeah, they only played a very weak schedule. So I think like if I had to pick a team that could be on the move, I would pick Boise State. Boise to me would probably make more sense more so than San Diego state or Fresno state, because of course, right now in San Diego, there's no facilities here to really drum up that, uh, that support though. Uh, maybe even it may be a benefit though, for maybe other programs though, at San Diego state, maybe for men's basketball or even for that matter, baseball as well, that could also benefit from a move. I just don't see it happening now, right now at this rate, maybe a couple years after the new stadium opens here in San Diego, perhaps, but I really don't see it happening at this rate. Tyler has a very interesting idea. Here's an idea to drum up support for next week's Michigan-Penn State game. The loser has to pay for the buyout clause on the winning team's coach's contract. I like that idea. I'm all for it. <laughs> Let's do it. Why not? Also, Christy Wilson writes in, don't see Clay Helton going anywhere right now. I don't see a lot of coaches going anywhere at this rate. James Gonzalez. James Franklin has had some moments at Penn State where he's seen or act like or acted like a jackass karma. Simple as that. Joseph Miller writes in best shirt ever in regards to Isaiah rocking that Brock Purdy custom made uh, shirt here today on the program. He's the goat, man. He's the he's the goat. Look at his performance today. Got to give the guy love. Really, as good I said, performance. make sure you don't wash the damn thing because it's going to be a, a, a total disaster. James Cap. also says, Your stop, future the quarterbacks. <laughs> stop the Clay Helton hate as well as what James says, dot, 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 dot. Angel with some more thoughts about uh, conference realignment in the future. Fresno State, maybe, but I think SDSU are happy being a Mountain West team, but they do know how to win versus Pac-12 schools. They've beaten Arizona State. They've beaten Stanford. They've beaten some of those very big Pac-12 programs. Again, maybe not right now. Again, I'm going to say it one more time, but again, the venue not being available here in San Diego, the temporary home, again, being up in Carson, up at Dinity Health Sports Park, maybe not right away, but in the next couple of years, perhaps, if the Pac-12 is that desperate, desperate to add in, I know, of course, maybe it's like, oh, but logistically, you know, can we afford a third team in Southern California? You've got, what, two or three programs in, in Northern California you have two schools in Arizona, two schools in Oregon. What's one more Southern California school that are going to do to ruin conference alignment for the Pac-12? But we'll see how things go. Casey King writes in again, I don't see Clay getting fired this year, but he does go on the hot seat next year. If things go back to normal, which I'm going to assume is with them struggling and losing games that they should, in fact, win. Casey also writes, uh, true, but it would be cool to see USC fans packing and standing like Dodger fans do. Uh, even when USC would come to the, to the Holiday Bowl, they've always had a very good following here in Southern California and, and in San Diego for that matter. So definitely it would not be that much of a surprise to me if you ask me. James also says, I miss saying the Pac-10. I think a lot of people do. I mean, I've, I mean, I'm not old, but my uncle is so old. He went to ASU when they were in the Pac-8. That's how long ago mm. it's been since uh, that's gone on. And Casey totally shuts down Isaiah's ludicrous idea. Hell no on U of H moving to the SEC, never going to happen. Also, Angel says about the move I had already brought up, the Big East and Mountain West was going to merge. Thank God they did not. I, I, I just don't see how that was going to happen. I think it was like SDSU was going to play Houston, Tulane, uh, I think Central Florida maybe. It was very weird. I'm, I'm glad they didn't go that route. So we'll see how things go. 
Christy Wilson writes in, Boise State always plays well. They deserve to be in a playoff spot or at least maybe in a better conference. I've said that about BYU and Gonzaga basketball for a very long time recently. James also writes in the Pac-12 conference is losing a lot of revenue, even projected before the pandemic hit. They need more schools to join the conference in the near future. Again, maybe San Diego State, maybe someone else that's close by. But I, I think it just more so, if, if that happens, Isaiah, this cannot be a BYU thing where you keep your football program independent and then you move your all your programs into a conference like, for example, the West Coast Conference. Because I just think that, logistically speaking, to me, it just doesn't even out the right way that you can have one of your programs. I know that Hawaii's that way, though, Isaiah, with the football program being in the Mountain West, but everything else is in the Big West Conference. Again, CSUN, UC San Diego, Fullerton, Irvine, those schools. I know, of course, they're set up, though, to lose revenue. Uh, but I think, though, Isaiah, more colleges, but I think, though, it has to be every program. It can't just be a football-only thing, if you ask me. It has to be every single program joins that conference. It can't just be, you know, football joins and then everything else is in a, and is in a different conference in my mind. If, if, if you're going to do that, it has to be an all in, no exceptions, if you ask me. Yeah, 100% agree with you because, you know, when you have like, let's say Hawaii, right? They have their football program in the Mountain West and then they have the uh, other programs in the Big West, I believe. Yeah, Big West. It's just very weird. You know, like you can't really develop rivalries when you do that. Like Hawaii has their football rivalries against Fresno and Boise. But, you know, the other sports, it's like against UC Irvine and UC Davis of the world. Casey says, or how about you bring both Nevada schools into the conference, UNR and UNLV, that a Pac-12 and dump both Utah and Colorado, which means a trip to Vegas or Reno once a year. I don't see that happening either because I think that those two schools, especially UNLV, they've had a long history with the Mountain West Conference. And at one point, UNR, Nevada, Reno had that as well at one point. I just don't see that happening. Again, I really don't see any alignment or realignment coming for at least maybe the next three to five years. Again, if more conferences are desperate, like, for example, again, the Pac-12, I could see San Diego State maybe. But once again, the facility has got to be there first. And again, that team is supposed to be opening up sometime in 2022. Also, Angel says as well, Isaiah, why is A&M in the SEC? Yikes. Yeah, I mean, it makes no sense. It just, it's very, very weird. Them and uh, them and Mizzou both being in the SEC is just very, very strange, if you ask me. That's why Hawaii in the SEC makes perfect sense. Why not? No, you already have a team make in the perfect South. Sense. You have a team, like, in the Central. Let's put a team in the West. Let's have the let's have like let's have SEC on CBS games be instead of noon. Let's have them at 8 p.m. I mean, who doesn't want to do that? James writes in that Penn State, Michigan, the Michigan Penn State game next week should be put on a DVD for all to see eventually. <laughs> we'll see how things happen. Angel says that USC dodged the bolt with James Franklin and also that uh, that SDSU did invade the Rose Bowl last season and he was there for the game. I did go to one game at the Rose Bowl when SDSU was there and they got clobbered by the Bruins at one point in time. Tyler, though, actually, Isaiah agrees with your uh, mindset. I'd love to see Hawaii in the SEC just to see what teams have to fly all the way over there and have the fans stay up for 11 p.m. East Coast time kickoff. 
there would be a lot of grumpy fans in the South. But hey, I'm hey, I'm down for Brad Nestler and Gary Danielson, who, my God, 2020 has brought a lot of weird stuff to us. But Brad Nestler and Gary Danielson, the SEC on CBS crew, calling a mountain. West game in Nevada, Reno. I was staring at my TV and I was like, am I in a dream or whatever? But hey, <laughs> I would I wouldn't mind seeing Gary Danielson and Brad Nestler have to go to Hawaii and call a game at 11 p.m. Eastern time. I mean, I would obviously stay up to watch, but, you know, it would be boring, though, because Hawaii would probably get clobbered by Georgia and Florida. And imagine Hawaii and Alabama, Khaled. No, thank you. That'd be it'd be worse than the Bears beating the Redskins in 1940, 73 nothing. <laughs> it may be way worse than that. It's sadly in my mind. Also, real quick, James says the Big West Conference hashtag the Conference of Palm Trees. More so, Fullerton. They for some reason Fullerton has a freaking. Uh, they have sub, uh, sublimited palm trees on their playing floor at Fullerton. I don't know why. Don't ask. Uh, Angel does say though, 14 teams in the conference though would not work. They would have to eliminate non-conference schedules. That's I, that's what I think, Isaiah, becomes the main factor. The more you expand, though, the more you lose out on those non-conference games for either F, you know, FCS programs, D2 programs, or those cupcake games you get, you know, early in the season. Exactly. Like you would lose like the USC Alabama games or USC Notre Dame. You would be losing a lot of those non-conference rivalries, and you would only play Pac-12 or in that case, Pac. 14 games because you have uh, or yeah, you would have like what 13, you would have to play 13 games. So there's no wiggle room for non-conference games unless you're willing to play a 14 game schedule or a 15 game schedule, which I highly doubt anybody would want to do. How would you even make that work? If you had that seven teams and seven teams in one division, seven in the other. I mean, no, that's already got the gears going. Uh, Joseph Miller writes in Isaiah. As the pay the college athletes landscape shifts and is solidified, I expect a unprecedented amount of conference realignments. Also with the effect COVID has had on the revenues, I think college sports in 2025 will be unrecognizable to anyone waking up from a 2019 cryo chamber. More so again, the revenue has been a very big talking point. And I think that he's right though, more so Isaiah, that again, some legislature has been in place though to, uh, to have these kids get paid based off their likeness and their image and their name, maybe for video games or stuff like that. But there is going to be a lot of other factors, though, I think, not just sports-wise, that will have some impact on how, in fact, conferences do, in fact, move beyond uh, beyond this year. Yeah, it's just like right now we're in a pandemic, and um, you know a lot of conferences are losing a lot of money and, you know, when you have to, you know, move conferences, it takes a lot of money to move into a new conference. I remember when Hawaii joined the Mountain West, they had, they had to, like, pay, a, like, a huge fee just to move into the Mountain West. There was a lot of logistics things they had to take care of. They had to, you know, renovate the entire facility. So when you get into a new conference, it takes a lot of money to make it work. And I just don't see right now a lot of teams uh, doing that because of the pandemic. But like Callan said, I could see it maybe five years down the road or even seven years down the road that it could happen. I, I agree with Joseph. Maybe post-2025, we'll see some more realignment again. Maybe it's SDSU going to the, to the Pac-12 maybe, but just really don't see it coming to fruition at this rate, sadly, with, again, a lot of the revenue being lost and other things going on, sadly, in college sports. 
With that, though, Isaiah, NBA free agency has gotten underway as of uh, Friday. And we've already seen, though, man, a lot of moves made over the past several days. Isaiah, if you can give us a Clip Notes version or maybe in your mind some of the biggest moves that you have seen made across the NBA so far through at least the first two days of NBA free agency yeah. as, we, as we approach the 2020-21 season, getting underway in just about a month, December 22nd for a 72-game sprint to the finish line. Well, I think you have got to start with the obvious. The Los Angeles Lakers, I'm not trying to be biased here, but the Los Angeles Lakers have got to be the biggest winners of this free agency period because they managed to, they let go of Dwight Howard, they got rid of Danny Green, and they managed to turn Danny Green and Dwight Howard into Dennis Schroeder, the rain or the sixth man of the year runner up, who's only 27 years old, I believe. He can score the heck out of the basketball. This guy can run an offense very well. He takes a lot of pressure off of LeBron James uh, when he sits down. He can take over and run the offense when LeBron sits down. And also, you get. Montrez Harrell? Are you kidding me? A guy that, you know, I hated really badly last year because, you know, this guy was talking a lot of trash. And, you know, I was like, dude, you're a six man. You shouldn't be coming out here and chirping a lot. But, hey, Montrez, if you're listening, all is forgiven, man. I'm so glad that you're on my team. But two years and 19 million. The same deal the Cavs give uh, Tristan Thompson. This is the Lakers' mid-level exception. You get Montrezl Harrell, who's 26 years old, reigning sixth man of the year. This guy brings a lot of energy to the floor. Uh, he can get under opponent's skin. He's the guy that can uh, rebound uh, as well as block shots. And he just has a high motor. And I really, really love those two uh, acquisitions by the Los Angeles Lakers as well as Wesley Matthews. I posted on my Facebook timeline, you know, that the Wesley Matthews edition uh, is a great replacement for Danny Green because Wesley Matthews in his career has never, ever shot below 39% from three-point range. This guy's a great three-point shooter. Uh, he's a great defender as well. He just takes Danny Green's spot perfectly. Um, I think that the Lakers are right now are the biggest winners um, of free agency. The move that I really didn't like, however, for the Lakers was – them signing Contavious Caldwell-Pope to a massive three-year, $40 million contract. And the reason why I don't like this move is because now it takes you out of the running for Giannis and Tentacumpo. You know, Giannis is a free agent next year. There's going to be Victor Oladipo, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. They could potentially be free agents. That is a massive free agency class next year. And the Lakers needed all the – like they needed to save a lot of money because you already have LeBron. You already have AD taking up uh, your max salary spots. So you couldn't afford to give more than one-year deals or, you know, one-year plus player option deals uh, if you wanted to – have room to sign a Giannis or sign a Victor Oladipo or sign a Kawhi next season. And for you to go out and give Contavious Caldwell-Pope a three-year, $40 million contract, the first two years is guaranteed. So that means you're going to shell him $13, $14 million next season and take that money that you need to try to get a Giannis or try to get an Oladipo or another star – I just don't like that move for the Los Angeles Lakers. But other than that, I think the Lakers are the, one of the big winners. Um, I think you got to say that the Gordon Hayward move to Charlotte was really, really questionable because 
Uh, Gordon Hayward, I think Callen, isn't he like in his mid-30s right now? And coming off of injury as well. Yeah, he's in his mid-30s coming off an injury. And, you know, Charlotte, they're locking him up for the next four years at a rate of 30-plus million dollars. So I don't like that move for Charlotte. I think that, you know, Gordon Hayward, when he, at the end of that deal, that might be one of the worst contracts in all of sports. It's going to be very hard to get rid of that contract. Um, and, you know, if you – like it. I mean, you're basically setting up your franchise to only be competing for the seventh and eighth seed every year because you have LaMelo Ball, you got um, uh, Graham, you have Miles Bridges, you have Kerry Rozier, who I think they're going to trade because now you have so many guards uh, in your backcourt. And now you have Gordon Hayward, who just can't stay healthy all the time. I just don't think it was a smart move for the Charlotte Hornets. Um, another move that it was really questionable to me was the Warriors. Uh, trading for Kelly Oubre. Listen, I Kelly Oubre, he's young. He's a fabulous basketball player. But the only problem with him is that he can't stay healthy. And last year he was dealing with all sorts of injuries. Um, he was dealing with back injuries, hamstring injuries, even had a neck injury at one point. When you have back and neck injuries, especially at that young age, that is never good. So like for the Warriors to have to pay $17 million for, uh, and give up a first round pick, which they're they're, they're going to need all the picks they can get because the Warriors are not going to be contending anytime soon. You lose Clay Thompson. Uh, you also lost a bunch of uh, players from free agency. I know Curry's coming back. James Wiseman. I don't like that traffic at all. I I mean, I think Callen feels the same way that the Warriors botched that pick because with Curry Th and Thompson back, yeah, James Wiseman would have been a perfect fit for that team because you would be able to win now. But with Thompson out, I would have drafted LaMelo Ball, moved Curry to shooting guard, and you don't have to give up that first-round pick and pay uh, Kelly Oubre $17 million, which would make your uh, luxury tax bill over $80 million for a team that you know might only be sniffing the eighth spot in the Western Conference just to get splattered by the Los Angeles Lakers. So I don't like that move. And um, – I think all the other moves, like Clarkson going back to the Jazz, um, Dan Daniel Gallinari going to the Hawks, I really like that. That was a like that was kind of a surprise because I've heard that in recent days that he was actually going to considering taking minimum contracts from the uh, either the Lakers or a contending team to try to win a championship. But I guess that was just all smoke, and he was he ended up going to a team uh, that was willing to throw him a lot of money. But I'm telling you all right now, if the Lakers can manage to get Bogdan Bogdanovich, there's been rumors out there that even though they signed KCP, that he is still on the Lakers' radar. If he can get, if they can get that excellent sharpshooter from Sacramento and a sign and trade for maybe Kyle Kuzma and maybe throwing KCP in there, whew, that would be an amazing offseason for Rob Palenka and the Lakers to land Bogdanovich. Uh, Harrell and Dennis Schroeder, all guys in their mid-20s and replacing Dwight Howard, Danny Green, and KCP. With that in mind, Isaiah, I actually, James read my mind. The two moves that I have are both actually with the Raptors. And James is right, though, happy for Fred Van Fleet, who resigned today for, I believe, the largest uh, largest number of money given to a undrafted player. I think he got $85 million over a four-year deal with Toronto. But also, one move cancels out another with the Clippers actually signing a former member of the Raptors and Serge Ibaka to a two-year, $19 million contract. That came out actually about an hour 
before we came on the air tonight. But also, Isaiah, some more thoughts here real quick at this rate with uh, some thoughts about the NBA free agency. Uh, Casey says Lakers are looking good, and I really like the pickup of Harrell from the Clippers. You know, I agree, Isaiah. You know, there's sometimes that, he, that there's a player out there you probably don't like for how he plays on the floor, though, against your team. But then when he comes to your team, it's perfectly fine when he goes, in fact, to your ball club. And again, you know, Trez, I think, though, yeah, he was with the Clippers. But I think, though, but something about him going to the Lakers kind of was like in the back of my mind. I think I told that to Isaiah on Friday night when I got back from working my first event of the year, though. It was like I like something in my head had told me like something tells me that, that he's going to go to the Lakers like over free agency because the Clippers were, not, were probably not going to be able to afford that contract. And the Lakers gave him a two year deal which was an absolute steal, if you ask me. James uh, Joseph Miller agrees. Montrez was ridiculously good signing for the Lakers, definitely, for sure. Uh, just more so, again, trying to fill that void, though, and, and more so bench depth being a very big uh, key component, I believe, for the Lakers this year and a very key point of emphasis. So you've got Trez, you've got Wes Matthews, and you've also got Dennis Schroeder. So you, you also have the, uh, the top two uh, guys that were in the running uh, for – Sixth man of the year going to the Lakers. James agrees, though, the biggest move that was not made. Boston not trading for Miles Turner. Celtics could have done a side and, uh, sign and trade with Gordon Hayward to Indiana. Alama picks to the Pacers, and he and they blow that uh, that one. Isaiah, what do you have to add about this move here? Oh, I hated that one, man. Um, I was reading reports that you know, the Celtics and Pacers have been talking for weeks about doing a potential sign and trade because Gordon Hayward, his first priority was Indiana. The guy grew up in Indiana. He played his high school ball in Indiana. He played his college ball in Indiana at Butler. And also his family just bought a new mansion in Indiana. He really wanted to go back home to play for the Indiana Pacers and Boston and uh, the Pacers, they had been in trade talks for several weeks to try to get something done. But unfortunately, what happened was Boston uh, demanded Miles Turner and either TJ Warren or Victor Oladipo for Gordon Hayward. And Indiana was only willing to offer Miles Turner for Gordon Hayward. I thought that Boston should have taken that deal because Miles Turner is a heck of a center. Like he's really, really good, uh, especially down low in the paint. I think he would have really been able to help out the Boston Celtics, but the Boston Celtics, they got greedy. And that's what ended up hurting them as now Hayward leaves for nothing when you could have gotten one of the best centers in the NBA. And above all else, Hayward goes to Charlotte with a massive deal to play with the Hornets. James also writes in Isaiah, Atlanta and Detroit make a lot of free agent deals, but a lot don't make sense. Agreed. Yeah, the Pistons won. I don't get it. Like, you get rid of Christian Wood, who really did good for you guys, and he's very young. For Mason Plumley, Jaleel Okafor, and uh, there's one other big man that I'm forgetting his name. But are you are you really like really are you really serious about this? Like you sign you don't keep Christian Wood, but you sign Mason Plumley and Jaleel Okafor. That just doesn't make sense. I would have much rather preferred the youth and a guy that you know can give you like high energy, can put up over like 20 points and 10 rebounds a night instead of Mason Plumley and Jaleel Okafor. Uh, definitely for sure with that. Uh, by the way, Christy Wilson says that Gordon Hayward is 30, but he's had some very big injuries, though, as he's gone on. James also says the Hornets getting rid of Nicholas Batum, but signing Hayward, one good move, but then one bad move. And more so, I believe it's going to be going 
with um, the signing of Hayward, perhaps more than actually waving Nick Batum, who again has kind of been in, in my mind, been a pretty big journeyman over the past several years of his career. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Cal. And Nick Batum, uh, he was a good player for the Toronto, or not the Toronto Raptors, the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, he levied that into a massive contract with the Charlotte Hornets and just hasn't worked out. I think he had one good year for Charlotte, and that's it. And now they wave him. And, you know, I've heard that they're like he's uh, been contacted by a lot of contending teams uh, to play for their team. And I would actually like take a chance on him if I'm the Lakers because you're only going to sign him for the veteran minimum contract because Charlotte is still paying the rest of that or they're eating the rest of that contract that uh, he's making from Charlotte. So, I mean, I would take a chance on him because, you know, he gave you some extra depth. But, yeah, you're right. You know, Batum, that was a terrible signing for Charlotte. And who knows, maybe Gordon Hayward. I hope I'm wrong because I really do love Gordon Hayward. But that this Gordon Hayward signing might turn out to be like the Nick Batum signing. I agree. And just more so, the uh, you know, the guys had some very – scary injuries and some bad luck with injuries. So hopefully it's nothing more serious. Angel says the NBA free agency period will be crazy with the season starting exactly a month from now, December 7th. If you have NBA 2K21 at this rate with again, some preseason games going on at this rate, uh, James, I agree with you as mentioned, uh, happy for Fred Van Fleet. We signed with the Raptors. I believe it's the uh, largest contract given to a undrafted player in league history. Uh, Casey was asking about the Raptors playing their games this year. They're playing in Tampa, I believe, at the same arena as the Lightning, uh, per reports but, uh, from what I had gathered over the weekend. Uh, they will be playing in Tampa this season, not in Buffalo this year. And also, real quick, Isaiah, one more thought here uh, from James. The Thunder now have no one left from their contending years with, the, with them trading away Stephen Adams to New Orleans. Yeah, I'm, I was actually really stunned by this trade because if you guys remember back when me and Callan did our mock drafts, I think it was – was it Monday, Callan, or Tuesday? Um, uh, it was, might have been Tuesday. Yeah, it was one of – like I think it was Tuesday. Um, I predicted that Steven Adams would get traded, but it was to the Chicago Bulls in exchange for the number four pick for the Thunder to get Denny Avigia. But, hey, Sam Presti did, decides to deal him – to uh, New Orleans, and I think it's a good move because New Orleans is looking to win now with all that young talent they have with Zion, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, the guy that they uh, just drafted out of Alabama. Um, they also got, uh, you know, Steven Adams now added to the mix. So they're looking to win now and looking to get into the playoffs now. I think it's a good move for New Orleans and also a good move for OKC as they get another first-round pick. You throw it into uh, that – load of what 18 19 picks i don't even know how many picks it's like it's like every time you check uh check your phone or your computer it's like okc is adding another pick every minute so i think by the time that we're done you could see okc with like 150 picks like that's how much uh that's how like that's how sam presti right now is operating he's just trying to get first round pick after first round pick I mean, my goodness gracious. I mean, that's it's got to be a record, you know, for number of draft picks for the first round, at least that have been given to a ball club in recent memory. They probably have they're probably talking about, you know, can we get your first round draft pick for the year 2150? Like, seriously, <laughs> it's kind of like how it feels right now with how many times we've seen the Thunder have to uh, give 
uh, uh, giveaway uh, draft picks. With that, Isaiah, back over to you to add more about the Lakers and KCP's signing. Well, Calvin, I actually wanted to ask you a question about it. Like, you know, you got the news today that the Lakers had actually signed him to a three-year, $40 million deal. The first two years, uh, fully guaranteed. Uh, no player options, just fully guaranteed. And that most likely takes the Lakers out of the running for either Giannis, Victor Oladipo, uh, Kawhi, potentially, Paul George, potentially. What do you feel about that? Like, given that we have, there's a big free agency class coming out next year, the Lakers want to add a third star, but now most likely we won't have the money due to giving KCP that massive contract we gave him today. This becomes a deal where I think, Isaiah, the Lakers probably try to swing a trade maybe. And again, they probably are going to be on the hook, though, sadly, for some of that money. But I do think, though, that if they swing and miss year one, though, where, I, as you said, though, it's fully guaranteed the first two years, okay, play out the first those two years, but after he's off the books, you're golden when that when that happens. So I think if even if you miss right now, you know, these you know first couple years, it probably sucks, and you probably don't get someone like Giannis or Oladipo or maybe a PG or a Kawhi Leonard. But even then, though, I, I, I see this, that this probably still could work, though, for the Lakers. Maybe if it's not perhaps right now at this rate, uh, with, you know, with the, the years being guaranteed or the money being guaranteed. This, I think, though, becomes something that they maybe explore a way to probably, if it doesn't work out, to try to dump that salary. Of course, they're on the hook, though, for the first couple years. But even, if, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, a, you know, a, a win-win or lose-lose situation, if you ask me. I might be totally wrong on this. But I think the Lakers did it with the intention of trading him away to Sacramento in a sign-in trade to get Bogdan Bogdanovich. I mean, that's the only Absolutely. way. And yeah, that's the only way this makes sense. Because Rob Palenka in several interviews after the season has stated, like, listen, we're not going to do a lot of, like, like you know, multi-year deals this offseason because we are looking ahead to the 2021 offseason to try to pair Anthony Davis with a young star. So I'm thinking like you said all of that in the interviews and the press conferences. So why do you then go out and then give KCP that three-year $40 million? It has to be that they're trying to get Bogdanovich. And I think that Bogdanovich, I've heard he's won like 13 or 14 mil. Kuzma alone isn't going to be able to match that salary with Bogdanovich. So you're going to have to throw in a guy that is making like 13, 14 mil, and that's KCP. So I'm thinking like I think the Lakers, maybe with this signing, they're trying to trade KCP and Kuzma to try to get Bogdanovich uh, to the Lakers. And that's the only way it would make sense for me. Yeah, same here. I, I, more so, it's got to be a package deal. Caldwell Pope, Kuzma, maybe some draft picks to Sacramento, sign and trade. We'll see how things go. But again, I, I know that it's probably a long shot right now, but we'll see how things go. Some more thoughts here real quick. Tyler says, fun fact, the player with the longest tenure on the Pelicans roster right now is Zion Williamson, asterisk, longest tenure in New Orleans to be specific with him being there at this rate. So definitely agreed at this juncture. With that, Isaiah in mind, we'll move on over, buddy. And uh, again, folks, as a reminder, I wanted to, uh, again, if you're perhaps tuning in and wondering what happened with our Thanksgiving special, but we have uh, moved that event, as we already have said, though, to Sunday night uh, due to, again, time constraints with uh, the uh, college football games, but also a lot of our uh, guys on the East Coast not able to join us tonight. So we actually moved it to Sunday instead of here on this Saturday night. But of course, we'll be on air at eight o'clock on Sunday for our Thanksgiving special multi-hour event. And then, folks, after that, 
will be off the air for the entire week until we come back the following Monday on November 30th, I believe, to begin the MI6 Sports Network's 31 Days of Hot Takes to close out our year on November 30th, where we're going to be having, folks, 32 matchups of the best hot takes and best moments from the show all put into a giant bracket to see what is the best hot take and or moment or best moment in general of the year that was 2020. Isaiah, what do you got? I got a better idea, Cal, and I think we should talk about this more after the show is over. But since we're like tomorrow, we're not like taking off because we're doing the Thanksgiving special. How about let's replace that and take Nick's Sunday off as well so I don't have to rage after my Niners lose to the Los Angeles Rams. That's why I just said we'd be off the air until Monday the 30th starting on Monday. Yes. That's perfect for me then. Let's take Monday off too so we don't have to talk about the NFL too. Now we're going to be – we're off the whole week this week. The 30th, we are on air though to begin the 31 Days of Hot Takes Challenge though there, sir. Hey, at least we're missing – but still. At least we're missing Michigan and Penn State. That's all I, I asked for. Thank goodness. It's, it's, it's still going to be brought up, though, regardless. Some more thoughts here real quick. Angel says, leave it to Michigan, but at least I'm getting my turkey and stuffing tomorrow at this rate. So we'll see how things go. With that, folks, with us being off the air on Thursday or on Sunday, I should say, we are going to bring you, folks, a special Saturday edition of the Networks. and And also... The MI6 Sports Network and also, of course, the Night Shifts Bloopers of the Week. We have done this, folks, the past several weeks. We're going to be doing it on this Saturday to, uh, again, in uh, in wake of our Thanksgiving special going on. With that, Isaiah, we'll go to our first blooper of the week. That, of course, buddy, goes to One Bad Boyfriend. Yo, okay, a couple of things here. One, that is a great reminder to please wear your seatbelt at all times when you're in a vehicle. And also, I say, uh, goodness, man, that, that was, I would love to see that in slow motion of just like her just flying forward, smashing her sternum on the, the passenger seat and the, the, uh, the drink going flying, the straw going flying. My goodness, man. Callan, that is a perfect way if you're a parent to teach your kids to wear a seatbelt. But, man, that guy needs to, you know, really regret making that video because I think it cost him his relationship with that girl. Because I'm telling you right now, if that if I was, a, if I was that girl and that guy did that to me, well, we're all officially broken up. No, no more, no more like hanging out with you, man, for that jerk move. Yeah, Christy agrees. What a jerk. Laughing face emoji. I agree. That's just, wow, that's terrible. Next up, sadly, Isaiah, it's roasting one of our own, Ryan Schreiner on draft night. I'm so happy the Bulls didn't take him, but if the Cavs don't take him with him available, I I will cry. I, I'll cry at this point because he fills so many needs so perfectly. Ugh. Please, Cleveland, as my name says, please don't hurt me, Cleveland. A few moments later. All right, Ryan, moment of truth. With the fifth pick in the 2020 NBA draft, 
Cleveland Cavaliers select Isaac Okoro from Auburn University. Oh, the Cavs again. The Cavs lose again. Are you serious? The Cavs lose again. Why? Why, oh, why, oh, why? Oh, my goodness. Why do I why do I pretend like the Cavs are run by competent people or even just smart people in general? My goodness, this was the dumbest pick you could have made. What, what what's the Cavs' weaknesses? Playmaking, perimeter defense, and just small forward and perimeter play in general. What's the solution? Oh, draft the power forward that can't shoot a freaking three in today's NBA. And you know what this does? It destroys any trade value you had for Andre Drummond. What they trade to get him, they're going to get less in return because no one's going to give them anything because they know they're just ushering him out the door with this pick because this kid's going to be a center. And what's the one thing the Cavs didn't need is front court help. They were fine in the front court. Why? Why? Just You needed playmaking. You needed perimeter help. You needed everything. And the kid from Israel could have provided all of that. Or, heck, just get any perimeter player. What do you have in the perimeter that you're so, so excited about? Garland? He was the worst player in the NBA this year. They got significant minutes. Colin Sexton? He has not produced any win in basketball anywhere. He's a terrible defender, terrible playmaker. Who are they going to have pass the ball? There's no playmaking on this team. There's no perimeter defense on this team. There's, there's nothing. Your strength was the front court, and you're adding to that with a... With a prospect that's gonna that's outdated. He isn't made for today's NBA if he's gonna play the power forward. And if he's gonna play the center, you just lost all the trade value of the all-star you currently have. Isaiah, if there's two people on this network that everyone has got to feel bad for, it's me and Ryan, because our clubs that we live and die with and sports buddy. They're not very good, and they've not been good for a very, very, very long time. But we stuck it out, though, over the time, uh, over the course of our lifetimes, man. And we still, though, man, suffer heartbreak every single season. It seems like in some very either small or large capacity, there's always something that goes wrong for San Diego or wrong for Cleveland. But Isaiah, that was probably one of the uh, the best moments of our three hour and fifty six minutes spectacular uh, with uh, the draft show on Wednesday night. Well, first things first, I'm just very thankful that I'm not going to be roasted tonight because I had a similar experience uh, to Ryan's experience. So I'm really glad, Callan, that we are not going to show that on the air tonight. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I feel bad for Ryan. Um, you know, that's just Cleveland wrapped into one video. You get your hype up or you get your hopes up about Cleveland and then, Boom. They just let you down with either, um, you know, bad play on the football field, like what happened in 19, in the 1980s when the Browns were about to go to the Super Bowl, but they fumbled the ball against the Denver Broncos. And then, you know, the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, three first-round picks. What do they do? Draft Kyrie Irving, who worked out, Andrew Wiggins. A lot of people are saying that he's a bust. And then Anthony Bennett. So – uh, whenever Cleveland just gets good things happening to them, they end up just letting you down. I know none of the viewers feel, uh, feel sympathy for either me or Ryan, but hey, it is what it is. We're used to it. Uh, some thoughts here real quick. Joseph writes about the first blooper. 
I'd say lesson learned, but wasn't she blonde? Hopefully she learned to stay away from abusive boyfriends and wear her seatbelt. I agree about the last part for sure. Abusive <laughs> relationships and wearing a seatbelt. James says, somehow I got the Obi Toppin going to New York uh, pick correct. Christy agrees. I feel so bad for Ryan. The Cavs let him down badly. And James says, to be fair, Cleveland did trade Tristan Thompson. Sorry, Ryan, again, dot, dot, dot. Tough if you are a Cleveland sports fan. Next up, Isaiah, for bloopers of the week. A football blunder for the ages. The Kenworth folks is not very good here. So here's the reception. He's going to go to the 40. Stiff arm, 45-50, 45 into own territory. He's going to go all the way, right? And what in the world is this? He is tackled at the 10-yard line by his own teammate. I think I've seen it all, Isaiah. Callan, play it again for our viewers out there. There's three bloopers in that video alone. Uh, we'll let you count them up, but here it is again. So the first one, look at that. Weak tackle. How do you completely whiff on Actually, that tackle? Time out. time out. First of all, it's an interception. He becomes Jim Marshall with the Vikings and runs the wrong way. I just <laughs> yeah, you're right. I just and he's tackled that. by his own teammate at the ankles at the 10. And that's not even the worst part of it. The last part of it, as you guys can see, he wasn't touched. The guy wasn't touched when he got tackled by his own team. He wasn't touched by the opposing team. And he dropped the football on the field. And it's right next to the guy wearing the white jersey. He could have picked it up and ran it in for a touchdown. Three bloopers in one play. Like, oh, my God. Like, what are you doing if you're the defender? That's a live ball of the field. You pick that up, you could just walk in for an easy three-yard touchdown. Like, come on, man. Like, ah. Here's you, here's Matt, there's you, there. Oh, my goodness. And, and, and you know, Jim Marshall – Famed member of the Purple People Eaters for the Vikings did the same exact thing for a safety, you know, and oh. sadly he's remembered very well for that play, though. But he was, you know, Hall of Famer, I think, you know, one of the greatest players of all time. And he's sadly remembered, though, for a wrong way run like that. And my goodness gracious. Uh, Tyler says real quick, somehow the Knicks got that pick correct as well. James Anthony Bennett had a good two-week run in the Mountain West tourney. And for some reason, Cleveland drafted him. Angel about this one. You're on my team, dummy. I mean, because I didn't actually see that it was picked off by the opposing team, but with him running that, with him running towards that end zone, I was like, "Oh no!" Like this is gonna be bad. Joseph, I thought he's so. completely with. I thought the guy, like, I thought the defender, you saw, like, he makes the catch, right? I thought the defender completely whips on the tackle. I'm like, what kind of a tackle is that? You just try to grab him like that? Come on. But, yeah, you're right. The fourth blooper is the guy that was filming did a terrible job following the play. <laughs> Look oh, at man. that. Look at that. The ball. Worst that's a live. Ever. That's a live ball right there. Pick it up and run it into the end zone. It's like that would have been like the Oregon-Utah play from a couple of years back. Oh, my gosh. Where he just, where he just drops it at the one. So bad. Cal, uh, Joseph says, wow, Jim Marshall for the win. Callan, your brain is impressive. I've seen that play so many times, though, and, you know, one of the feared members of the Purple People Eaters back in the 70s. Uh, James says, player went the wrong way. Wow. Again, pulled the Jim Marshall, sadly. Chrissy says, thank God the city. 
Thank God this idiot got tackled by his own teammate. Oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah, that's that's rough. I mean, you know, I would have loved to have seen the coach just lose his mind. You know, turn blood red and just like, oh my goodness. Woo! I can only imagine though what the coach was telling him after that play was over. Isaiah, my goodness. I, I thought what happened was he like, so when I originally saw it, I thought that he caught the ball and was running to the end zone for the touchdown. And then his teammate just tackles them to prevent the touchdown. Like, look, <laughs> even, even the one guy's like pointing, like you're going, it's, it's the other way. Yeah. He's, he's pointing. <laughs> oh my God, man. And you can see the guy though, but you see him though, how he reacts. So he slaps the turf and like, you know, what did I just do? You know, oh my goodness, blah, 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 blah. Goodness gracious. Oh my, yeah. That's worst feeling ever. Uh, Angel says, thank God for his teammate tackling him, laughing out loud. It happened so fast that Cal didn't see the interception. I didn't see it either. And then I, we played it back. It's like, wait a sec. He's, he's going the wrong way. Oh, my goodness. And Joseph says, good night to everyone. An A++ show. Great to hear. Thank you, Joseph, for tuning in tonight. And we wish you a good rest of your evening. With that, Isaiah, we have a very lengthy blooper here. But this is a, a tribute uh, to one of your uh, very uh, – <laughs> one of your – uh, fellas on the San Francisco 49ers, I see we'll let you explain this blooper. This very lengthy blooper reel here on, at this rate. What do you got for us? So Grant Cohn from Sports Illustrated, 49ers reporter uh, for SI. He, you know, he always hates on the 49ers. So, you know, a lot of people have been saying for a couple of weeks now, Mike McGlinchey, the 49ers right tackle, who they drafted um, out of Notre Dame, I think three years ago with the ninth overall pick, people were saying, oh, he got two great games. He's he's a great right tackle. And Grant Gone just had to go in and roast the heck out of this guy and pretty much end his career. So, you know, enjoy. Sit back, ladies and gentlemen. Grab your popcorn and enjoy this. Focus on number 69 on the San Francisco 49ers. By the way, the video, uh, if I didn't say it uh, already, is brought to you by Grant Cohn, Sports Illustrated reporter of the 49ers.
What in the world did we just watch, Isaiah? <laughs> oh my. Oh, that was. Oh, man. Khaled, I've been telling you for months that the 49ers offensive line is one of the worst in the NFL. Do you believe me now that it's that? After seeing three minutes of a montage of terrible blocking, I agree. Also, Christy writes in, what is this, a Nick Mullins montage? It was a montage about the right guard, Mike McGlinchey. <laughs> Number 69, allowing all that penetration, as James alluded to. Also, Tyler wrote in, Isaiah, about that uh, wrong way run we saw. Impressive how he took a, a surefire pick six, to, uh, pick six to a 90-yard field for his offense. Way to go, buddy. Callan, I, I want to get back to the Mike McGlinchey montage. It's really funny. And I can't stop laughing about that. NFL films, <laughs> NFL films present the 2020 49ers. Can, uh, can they block anything from Angel? <laughs> there was a play. I think Callan knows where I'm going. There was a play against the Jets where uh, I think Nick Mullins or it was Jimmy Garoppolo. He hands the ball off to the running back. The running back is running this way. McGlinchey tries to uh, block the incoming linebacker or safety, and he completely whiffs. Like the linebacker is coming this way, McGlinchey's coming this way, and then for some reason he goes that way, and the linebacker gets a free charge. I mean, <laughs> I'm just that's that's. That is the most funniest play I've ever seen. How can you whip on a safety? Like, oh, my God. Oof. Uh, yikes. Oh. Uh, the next one, uh, next blooper of the week for us, folks, is the hit stick from uh, Saturday's Michigan Rutgers game. Let's see what happens here. Quarterback keeper looking for an option, and bam, down goes the Michigan defender. That guy got clobbered, Isaiah. My goodness. Let's see it again, Callan. <laughs> uh, let's see. He's rolling, rolling, still rolling, and bam! Greets him right at the one. Michigan got wrecked by Rutgers, literally. That guy, he was rolling, rolling, and he starts to run. Like you see right there, and the guy's coming, and he just, boom, powers into him and charges in to the end zone for a Rutgers touchdown that made it 14 to nothing, like, Come on, Michigan. Like, you you got to be kidding me, man. Like, you – that – I think that defender, like, must be heavier than that quarterback. And for him to allow that quarterback to just charge into him and push him backwards into the end zone, you got to that's, – that's what – hey, that's the shape of Michigan's program right now, man. Casey writes in to say, Higgins can, be can block better than the 49ers can block. <laughs> Uh, with that, folks, uh, that is actually not going to do it. We have one more, actually, that no, we just put no, in uh, for no. Blippers of the Week from Wednesday's draft show. So the first pick, the 2020 NBA draft is in. The Minnesota Timberwolves have made a selection, and there is the commissioner, Adam Silver, on his way to the podium. All right, here we go, guys. With the first pick in the 2020 NBA draft, the Minnesota Timberwolves select... Anthony Edwards from the yes! University of 
So there it is, Anthony Edwards on his way to Minneapolis to play alongside Carl Anthony Towns and the rest of the cast and crew in Minnesota as Isaiah is gone goodbye already with the program as uh, Anthony Edwards is number one overall to the Minnesota Timberwolves out of Georgia. Now a, a few moments later. Warriors have made a decision and now here we go. His way to the podium with the selection, the second overall in this 2020 NBA draft. Here's the commissioner, Adam Silver. With the second pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Golden State Warriors select James Weissman wow! from the University <laughs> of Memphis. The plot twist! The plot twist! Isaiah left the stage! Yes! Yeah, James Weissman out of Memphis to Golden State at number two overall in the NBA draft. And, of course, folks, Isaiah is now gone goodbye. But, oh, my goodness. Isaiah? Still there? Let's move on into final thoughts, shall we? Now explain yourself. What was that all about? I spoke too soon, Cal, and I didn't think that you were going to play that video, man. Back when we were uh, when we were roasting Ryan, I said that um, that yeah, that I'm safe for the night. I'm safe, yay! But that. That goes to show you the how draft night was, man. It was an up and down emotional roller coaster. That honestly is the joy of victory and the agony of defeat wrapped into one video. I was so hyped up after uh, Minnesota selected Anthony Edwards after all those reports were coming in, like leading into the draft that Minnesota had locked in on LaMelo Ball. And, you know, you guys know me. Like I had a dream for the past nine months that LaMelo Ball would end up being a warrior. And that if that happened, I would go back to work for the Golden State Warriors. Um, but, you know, Anthony Edwards goes to Minnesota. So I was like, yes, LaMelo Ball is for sure coming after Clay Thompson's injury. And, you know, the Warriors, there's been reports that he, they're not really – that high on Jane Wiseman, it's got to be LaMelo Ball. It just has to be LaMelo Ball. And then, you know, when Adam Silver said, James, I already know that it was James Wiseman. So that's why I was like, no. And I just stormed off the set. I nearly broke my computer because I slammed my headphones down. And, you know, I still think it's a bad move but the, by the Warriors. But I think, Callan, that's going to live in the MI6 uh, funny videos or funny moments lore for uh, the rest of this network history. No, don't worry. Ryan and Isaiah's draft reactions are now in our top 16 moments now for our upcoming 31 days of hot takes coming up very shortly on November 30th. Some thoughts here real quick. Christy Wilson seeing Isaiah go from a uh, euphoric high to a crushing low was hilarious. James says, was laughing so hard at work with that Warriors pick in Isaiah's reaction. Made my night at work go so smoothly. Thank you guys for that. We appreciate that, and we're glad to hear about that. But again, folks, that is our bloopers of the week here on this Saturday. 
as I say, nobody is safe. That's all I'm going to say. No one is safe from misery. No one is. With that, now we will now go into tonight's final thoughts. As we wrap up, folks, here for this Saturday on the night shift, as a reminder, everybody, we already had said, though, but again, due to the time constraints of the uh, length of some of the football games tonight and also some of the East Coast guys unable to stay up too late tonight, we will be uh, moving or have, in fact, moved our Thanksgiving special to Sunday at 8 o'clock Pacific time back here on the MI6 Sports Network. With that in mind, Isaiah, over to you for final thoughts for the night show. Well, first of all, Callie, before I get into my final thoughts, I want to thank Angel, Casey King, James Gonzalez, Christy Wilson, um, Joseph Miller as well. Uh, let's see, who else am I missing? Uh, Chris Woodmansey, um, as well as, let's see. Oh, I think that's it. But I want to thank all the viewers for tuning into the show tonight and, you know, flooding our uh, comment box with a lot of great comments and always giving us so much love and support. We really appreciate you. You guys are truly, and I've been saying this for months, that you guys are truly the best fan base on the planet. We really appreciate you guys. Um, like Callum said, make sure you guys tune in tomorrow to the Thanksgiving special. We're going to have a lot of fun stuff planned for you. We're going to talk NFL, NBA, MLB, um, maybe some college football as well. Um, and also we might get into some uh, pigskin pick'em as well for tomorrow as well as other fun stuff planned uh, for you guys tomorrow. Um, but my final thoughts is, man, it's been a great program. Um, Callan, I want to thank you so much for not having to bring up that, uh, that Michigan game. Also, Michigan, I want to thank you guys so much for winning that game today and, you know, not making me go live on the air and have to face utter humiliation but it's been a great show. Um, congrats to USC on a great win over Utah today. The Trojans are now 3-0. Uh, they have Colorado next, and I think they have UCLA after that. I might be wrong on that. Oh, no, they have Washington State and then UCLA. Um, but, you know, USC is looking different this year, uh, and they're on their way uh, to the college – or not the college football playoff, but the Pac-12 championship, and I can't wait for USC, Oregon. It's going to be a great Pac-12 championship. It's going to be a fun week, folks. As a reminder, once again, we have our MI6 Thanksgiving special move to Sunday at 8 o'clock Pacific time. As uh, we have said, folks, we had some hurdles to jump over today with, again, college football games still going on. Again, the Michigan Rutgers game, but also uh, East Coast uh, friends not able to join us uh, tonight. So we're going to be moving it, as mentioned, to Sunday, still at 8 o'clock Pacific time, talking NFL football, college, all the ongoing big news in the sports world, and, of course, sharing what we're grateful for throughout the course of, as we know, it's been a very rough year, though, but we've uh, found some positives, I think, though, throughout the course of the past several months, though, and uh, for that matter, the past several uh, weeks as well, and for that matter, in a year, though, folks, full of negatives, there's been a few positives, I'm sure, that we all can find, though, as we will uh, be, that, uh, be here again, folks, on Sunday, but as a reminder, starting, folks, on Monday, no programming will be on the air, come this upcoming Monday, but 23rd, we'll be back on air with you, folks, to kick off day number one of our 31 Days of Network uh, Hot Takes Challenge coming your way on Monday, November 30th. So after uh, the Thanksgiving special, folks, on Sunday, no programs from us throughout the course of the week. So Isaiah, that means no programming. So do not be scheduling unplanned or unconfirmed shows with your friends on Friday nights again, please. 
Well, Callan, I might schedule a thing, a show on Thanksgiving Day where I'm just going to be sitting here with um, at my table in the garage with a turkey, a mashed potato, and uh, stuffing, pumpkin pie, and, and all the Thanksgiving foods that you can have. I'm going to have it on the table. I'm just going to, you know, have a show where the viewers can watch me eat, watch me devour some great food on Thanksgiving Day. But you know, before I uh, but before I turn it back to Cal, I just want to wish you guys a early happy Thanksgiving, man. Hopefully, you guys all enjoy this week and enjoy the holidays. Um, and yeah, just spend it with your family and have a great Thanksgiving. And more importantly, folks, stay healthy and stay safe as we, in fact, try to navigate the course here with the uh, <clears throat> holiday. In fact, coming up though on Thursday again. I know we have plenty of football. On Thursday, three games in the NFL on Thursday. But as mentioned, we'll be here on Sunday for our network Thanksgiving special. Again, that'll be at 8 o'clock Pacific time here, folks. Coming your way on Sunday night here on the 6th here on Sunday. Some final thoughts from our viewers. Christy Wilson says, really fun show tonight. Casey King says, final thoughts. Another great show as always. And look forward to tuning into the special to give my thoughts and look forward to some NFL action tomorrow. Definitely agree. Angel says, you're welcome, guys. See you tomorrow, and please save me the drumsticks. Isaiah, save him the drumsticks, please. Got it. And also, Isaiah says, MI6 pigskin bowl. Uh, no. We, we all live way too far away, and we'd have to quarantine for two weeks probably, so no. How about we all, like, I don't know if we should do that, not this year, but next year, we should definitely think about all of us gathering at, in Boise, Idaho to play on that blue turf, and we can all have an MI6 pigskin bowl where we can stream it to the viewers. I mean, that would be such good content. I say we do a, uh, ne uh, ne next we do a network Christmas Day basketball game on the beach here in San Diego. We have a lot of courts on the beach here at Crown Point Shores. We can do that, and let's do it. <clears throat> I won't even be playing, Cal, and you know me. I will be on the beach drinking a pina colada and probably just right here. No, you're going to be out there as a point guard and running into screens from me and falling on your rear. It's that's that's gonna that's what's going to happen with this game. We're going to make it happen eventually. Network basketball game coming very shortly, at least next year. So get ready to bring a cup and bring a girdle there, Isaac. You're going to be falling up, falling a lot, running into me, setting picks and screens for uh, my shooters. Give me a 10 nothing head start, please. You're not getting nothing. Your, your team's going to be down 10 nothing by the time it's five minutes into the game. Uh, Casey says, how about a network football game at the L.A. Coliseum? <laughs> I, I, I approve it. Iconic plays. Wouldn't mind playing there. The Rose Bowl, the Coliseum, Bank of California Stadium. I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out eventually. Staples the Center for a basketball game? No, too far for me to go. Uh, we all live in California, basically. We got to do it somewhere in California, Isaiah. Maybe that a Levi's. Maybe. Levi's, Memorial Stadium, uh, Stanford Stadium, Earthquake Stadium. How about the Coliseum? Coliseum. I don't know. We'll figure it out. With that, we'll though, folks, for Isaiah LeYoung and the entire cast and crew here on the MI6 Sports Network, yours truly, Cal McClurg, saying goodnight. On this Saturday, as a reminder, everyone, the network's thanks me special your way tomorrow on Sunday, 8 o'clock Pacific time back here inside of the MI6 Sports Network, folks. Till Sunday, have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>